0: just 1 1 What's up, everybody, and welcome to Gaming History 101, the Retro Video Games Podcast. I am one of your hosts. My name is Fred Rojas. And joining me today is nobody. I am solo. It has been a long time since I've done a solo cast, so welcome, welcome. Uh, Welcome, all gamers, in the live chat. We are live every Tuesday night, allgames.com, 7 p.m. Eastern. Uh, You'll also notice I am probably a little more, uh, I I would say I'm the same loudness, but I am a little more chill. Not for any particular reason, but uh, because it's going to be a little conversational. Uh, This is why I always want to be in the chat so that for the weeks that I am solo or maybe jam solo or somebody solo, that we have something like that going on. So... Uh, Why is Jam not here? Jam actually uh, was supposed to return from holiday and because uh, (laughs) I jokingly say because Brexit happened uh, all these crazy people are trying to get into Europe therefore Jam is unable to get uh, into his own home country uh, especially Great Britain so because that's all going on He is stuck and will not be with us. But that's not necessarily the reason I didn't have a guest. Uh, I had a couple of guests who were very kind to offer up. I had some concepts, but there was some stuff I wanted to talk about, so I figured, why not do our own show? So... Uh, Like many of the early Gaming History 101's, this is going to be a solo show, Um, and actually uh, this week we are talking about emulation, now this is not the first time Gaming History 101 has talked about emulation, but this is the first time in five years, and that's significant because a lot has happened in five years, and we are going to be talking about it, my entire concept of what emulation is and should be has completely done a 180. So I thought this would be a good opportunity to take care of all that, to kind of uh, air my grievances with emulation, talk about emulation, and also for everybody who's ever messaged me. And there are many of you out there who are like, what's the best emulator for this? What should I do for this? What do I need before I start emulating that? We're gonna answer all those questions today. We are not only gonna go over some mild, broad scale topics of what emulation is, but we're gonna get down to the nitty gritty. We're gonna list out my favorite emulators for all of the consoles and why. And uh, I'm sure the chatters out there, if they wanna get involved, I really recommend you do, uh, will have their own recommendations. So uh, with that, uh, I think we're gonna jump into it. Um, Real quick, couple of uh, little housekeeping announcements. Um, if you want to contact us, especially if you have show recommendations, uh, hit us up at uh, contact at GamingHistory101.com or go to GamingHistory101.com and hit the little contact link in the upper right-hand corner and boom, there it will be. And you can send us an email. Uh, let us know you know, anything you want to say about the show, any topics you want covered, and more importantly, any uh, shows you would like us to do because that's what we're all about. Um, Directions changing a little bit of Gaming History 101, not in a bad way, in a very good way. Uh, I, I, I'm i curious what you all think. I want to know what you want covered. I want to know what you think we should be talking about. I want to know what you'd like to hear Um, And I'd like to start doing it in that favor and I also want to know in certain ways like the article will never go away Because it's the best way to kind of reflect back and think about video games Plus it's the way we've kind of been reading reviews and stuff like that for the longest time But the other thing I'm noticing is the let's plays the playthrough videos all this other video content that you try to do Unless it's carefully planned or articulated. I'm not very good at it. Um, I've heard differing opinions, but The viewership on YouTube tells its tale, so I'm not going to waste my time and yours making up stuff you're not going to watch. So sure, we'll do version. Version's going to be a staple. We'll do unreleased, where we talk about and play unreleased games. Uh, We might even play some of the funnier things, like how bad could it be? But I don't really want to do more of these play diaries and long plays and stuff because they're really good for two hours, right? For the quick look or whatever, like maybe an hour or two. But they're no fun in the long run. So what's the answer? Streaming. Let's go back to streaming. Had a lot of success with um, Shenmue, had a lot of success with the 24-hour stream. So let's liven that channel back up. So twitch.tv forward slash gh101 or more importantly youtube.com forward slash vgptgs is where a lot of this is going to go. I'm actually thinking about doing YouTube gaming live instead of going through Twitch just because... It might be easier that way but uh, I don't know uh, and we have a lot more subscribers on YouTube but you tell me tell me what you'd like to see tell me what you think uh, definitely want to do games that no one else is doing so uh, stay tuned uh, you can follow me at um, uh, Kossin says like a 15-minute segment about video game composer or the music of a particular game that's an amazing uh, idea Kossin I will keep that in mind um, and also, just with some of the staple video content as well, Cron uh, CD is coming along great. Uh, I told you that Episode 3 would be out in July. That is totally on the timetable. Uh, I've got about 12 out of the 15 games in the bag, and the last three don't look like they're going to be much of a problem. Might even have that out as soon as like a week or two from now. So uh, that should be coming soon. Um, But yeah, I definitely agree with that. That's an amazing video segment um, that we could do and have some fun with. Going to be doing a little more, you know, podcasting and whatnot as well, because podcasts seem to be our strongest suit. Um, Fortingard says YouTube would be better. I don't follow Twitch the way I follow YouTube. Yeah, I think that's the case. I think that's the case across the board. I think that's why we're gonna probably move in that direction. Um, <clears throat> but I want, like I said, I wanna play games that people either don't have or don't play often. For example, coming up here, uh, stay tuned to either the Twitter feed or my personal feed. You can follow either, they're gonna be on both. But obviously my personal feed is going to be mostly focused around my personal opinions on top of everything else. And the website feed will be mostly focused around, you know, the website and everything we're doing there. But uh, I'm going to do Metal Wolf Chaos, the, uh, the English uh, fan translation as well. So the game's all in English, but it's also got some of the text in English. Uh, so that's going to be coming up probably this week. So uh, we'll be playing through some Metal Wolf Chaos live with uh, the chatters. <coughs> anyway... Stay tuned for that. The last thing, and this is as it relates to you listening as well, I'm going to be talking about this at the beginning of a lot of podcasts in the near future because it has come to my attention that a lot of our strongest episodes, my favorite episodes, and our best earliest episodes – can't be really easily found anymore. They're on the website, but who wants to scour through pages and pages of podcast feeds, right? So we need a good and easy way where you can access the 247 episodes outside of the 100 episodes that are on the feed. And those of you who have reached out to me, thank you for doing so, because it made me really think about it. And this is, like I said, this is the direction we're going with Gaming History 101. Let's talk about you. Let's make things easier. Let's make things more accessible. And the first way we're gonna do that is a podcast archive. So right now, I'm in the process of making it. Uh, It won't be a feed really like an XML because I think you want the updating feed that already exists. But what it will be is it'll be a part of the site. It'll say podcast archive. It'll be a link in the upper right. Um, When you click on there, we will have a breakdown by year of every single podcast that's on there and really, really quickly what it's about. Because, like, the titles don't always give it away if you don't catch it. Like, maybe you don't know that Ellipses Shepard Ellipses is, like, for Mass Effect. So I'll just break it down. It'll say Shepard, then it'll say Mass Effect Trilogy. You click on it, it'll take you to the... To the post on gaming history 101 where you've got the stream so you can listen to it on the website it'll also have obviously the download link but then i'm also going to bundle all of these shows together in half years so it'll be about 26 25 26 episodes and you can download them all as one big zip so that you can listen to them at once and they'll be in bundles so i'm working on that i hope to have it uh, live by the end of the week bear with me this is a you know at home job but you know there you go also remember We've updated a ton of stuff with tagging links and search options. So search should be much more optimized. All of the console stuff, when you click on it, it doesn't just show you a specific pick. It actually goes to all the tags. So when you click Resident Evil, you see every post about Resident Evil and things like that. So this is all for optimization's sake and just so that you can find your content easier. But with that, why don't we jump into the topic at hand that is about emulation and how I've come about. Will we also list guests in the archive? Absolutely, we will. Um, I will mention when Jam comes on board, I will mention um, ongoing hosts, but be behind that, Billy Okay says, give me more content. Well, we are sticking at about 20 to 25 pieces of content a month. We might be able to raise that up a little bit more, but I would like to say we're keeping it as consistent as we can. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, uh, but yes, Guard that will be on there. Anytime there's a guest, we will mention it. Um, So, and here's, speaking of guests, here's Voss, and we do have Psy1 joining the chat. Welcome, welcome. Um, But yeah, so for those of you who are looking for the topic, you're just in time for that. So... (laughs) We'll kick it off with emulation 2.0. So we've previously done an emulation episode, which you're gonna be very hard pressed to find because it was one of our earliest ones. It was called Breaking the Law. This was in 2011 where things were very different with not only emulation, but with my thoughts on emulation. Uh, For me, emulation seemed to be the cheapskate route, the inefficient way to play video games of the past on a computer if you either couldn't find them, couldn't own them, there are lots of very justified reasons in using emulation, or because uh you wanted to pirate them you didn't want to buy them or due to save states to me that was the only thing i thought you would use emulation for um but uh but in fact um that's not the case excuse me i got a little bit of a frog in my throat and of course this has to happen on a show where i can't like mute or hide away from it but so bear with me on that got some water here though But anyway, um, emulation in 2016 is very different than it was in 2011, and I can tell you why. Um, But before I do, uh, let's just open up with uh, who Frank Cifaldi is. If you're not familiar with Frank Cifaldi, he has worked for several websites, including 1UP and Gamasutra, where I first got to know him. He ran the fantastic Lost Levels website, which I think is still around, lostlevels.net, where, or is it LostLevels.org? I think it's LostLevels.net. But anyway, that's where he houses any prototype and previously unreleased games where he gets them as a collective. He dumps them on the internet so they are readily available to everybody. And he is really a, a gaming archivist. And uh, he, in, in at GDC 2016 earlier this year, did a talk called It's Just Emulation! exclamation And there will be a link in the show notes. But... Uh, The big thing about his talk was that emulation is not only necessary for several good reasons, but also that it can actually be a business practice. It can actually be a key to making money for developers to actually have stuff to do and when you can archive something and make it readily available why not do it so i'm not going to go too much into that that is its own talk it is fantastic it's about an hour long and i don't want to get too much into it but you can't talk about my thoughts on emulation without mentioning that talk and the fact that some of these ideas and i will cite them when they come about do definitely come from some of the things that frank safaldi and his group have done um but uh Voss5 asking about Jim. Yes, Voss. Uh, sorry, I, since I'm solo, I can't talk and type at the same time. Uh, yes, he's gone. I explained at the beginning of the episode, but uh, he got tied up on his travels back home from holiday. So, um, But anyway... So what is emulation? If just just highbrow, we go pretty deep into the finer points of the advent of emulation, all that stuff on the previous episode, Breaking the Law, which again, you can't find it in the feed. You'd literally have to go to GamingHistory101.com and type in Breaking the Law in the search or coast through all the podcasts, but it's one of the oldest ones. Um, and again, the archive upcoming soon we should make it very easy to find. But um, <clears throat> emulation, basically put, is a way that More modern hardware, and not necessarily modern hardware, but it's the way that hardware can basically run original code, source code if you will, from one piece of hardware into a piece of software that basically recreates that hardware. So simply put, it's a computer that is able to run a piece of software that the computer thinks is just running software, when in fact the software is taking the code of a Nintendo game, for example, and actually conveying it on the screen. Now, that is not as easy as it looks because there were some weird hardware configurations. Things were a little complicated. Frame rates and outputs and even processors were very different. Uh, Coding was different, everything from assembler over to C++ and everything in between so as you can imagine in order to emulate you need significantly stronger hardware uh than there ever w- thank you very much cy one uh, <laughs> turns out it's not so hard gaminghistory101.com 2012 06 28 breaking the law all lowercase no spaces no hyphens look at that anyway um <clears throat> But yeah, most of you know what emulation is. But that's why you need to have stronger hardware, right? There's nothing too special about, uh, say, the PlayStation 2. It is running at about 500 megahertz, I believe, off the top of my head. I haven't looked up everything. It's running the Emotion engine. Um, but, uh, and it is running a one-time speed DVD-ROM drive. And it has almost no RAM, like 256 Megabyte, maybe nah, I don't even think it's that much. Maybe it's like eight megabytes. I don't know. It's it's somewhere in between those two, <laughs> and um, <clears throat> it has USB 1.0 ports, and yet you need a pretty beefy quad-core PC with uh, a decent, uh, you know, I would say probably one to two uh, gigabytes of DDR5 RAM if you're hoping to run that on a PC. So, you know, because it it needs to run both the operating system and everything, and then it's just running that as a side program. So you have to understand it's literally like running Windows and everything else that Windows is running while also being a PlayStation 2 at the same time, which is why the argument can be made that dedicated content consoles are always stronger than dedicated PCs because the PCs have to do so many more things. That's kind of blurring, especially with like the Xbox one, which is running windows 10. So it's basically a PC, but for the most part, that's kind of what, um, What this is. And Drew says this is before I started listening regularly. Well, actually, at the time that was recorded, we weren't even a regular podcast. We were just like fun spinoffs. So you can hear from Derek, a.k.a. Avsrock, from the former Playground podcast, uh, who was one of my partners in crime early on. But uh, anyway... um, So that's what emulation is and uh, let's delve a little bit into kind of my new take on this. So all this is new, I'm not really gonna delve too much into my old take other than to, you know, kind of admit my wrongs where I was there. So why is emulation good and why is emulation bad? Uh, The first reason and probably the most important reason that people like to throw out there is archiving, right? That is why emulation is good. Um, our uh, Our industry, when I say that, I mean gaming industry, is dog shit at archiving um oftentimes code gets claimed to be thrown out especially in the um oh, okay there is an episode on piracy that we've talked about uh, this won't really delve too much into that uh there was an episode on piracy and it's more recent um but uh anyway uh so uh but but archiving um in the early cartridge days, uh, a lot of the early ROMs or games were dumped on EEPROMs. EEPROMs are not based around uh, really storing information for a long period of time. Uh, if you want to know about EPROMs and whatnot, uh, you can read. I did an article on uh, the anatomy of the cartridge or the... It was something like hardware profile cartridge or something. Just, just look up hardware and cartridge on the website and you'll find it. Um, but... Uh, but yeah, it, it wasn't made to be stored on there for a long period of time, which is why so many prototypes don't have a whole lot of usable code. On top of that, we can't even get straight, and I know this from doing Cron CD. we can't keep straight when shit came out, what it's sold for. Um, you know, Frank Cifaldi himself has written several articles on the fact that we can't pinpoint the release date in America of Super Mario Brothers, one of the arguably most important American video games of the 80s. Um, I'm right now doing for Kron CD the archiving of... Uh, Philips CDI. I have no fucking clue when half of the Philips CDI games came out because... (laughs) Phillips didn't pay attention to it. Phillips can tell you the year, and even then, if you go on websites, you can't tell the year. You know, what I've been able to find out find it out boxes. You literally look at the game box or the disc and look at the copyright, and we know that that's not always accurate, but it's the closest I can do. And then from that, I use surrounding video game magazines of the time to kind of pinpoint the approximate release date. Meanwhile, in Japan, thorough lists what it sold for, when it came out, when it was going, what it was for. It's it's very very thorough. So, um, you know, that is, that is a big part of this. Um, in addition, um, <clears throat> there is uh, lots of archiving in the form of companies if there's no money involved. And that's kind of like I know people like to think of it as a bureaucratic statement, but it is totally accurate um that companies uh if there's no money in it why keep it why keep the server going on something like that yeah it's important to people they know that they're not even so cold as to say they don't care but at the end of the day somebody needs to keep that going many websites I used to work for in my early days in the industry don't exist my articles purged forever I couldn't I should have kept copies on my own I didn't but I also couldn't link to them now and I can't rewrite them either because they belong to somebody else you know um so it gets really important to uh you know put all those things together and uh and and archiving can be a great thing and if there's one thing i will tell you uh and and you know it's kind of covered but emulation people and archivists aren't necessarily pirates but you have to be a pirate in order to do so but you know what they, they've got so many ROM sets, you won't believe it. You want all the ROM sets? There you go. They've got the regular ROM sets for like Nesticle back in the day. We'll talk about Nesticle in a minute, but in 1997, you know, you needed the special iNess uh, header in order to have Nesticle run those things. Well, they've got all those sets, but now we've got flash carts, and now those headers aren't very much liked by the console and the flash cart, so you can't really play them. Well, guess what? They've got no intro ROM sets, where somebody took the bare bones cart, stuck it in, ripped the ROM. There you go. Um Every single <laughs> you go to emulator sites, everything's there. It's shocking what's there. You take people, you know, all over the place. It's it's amazing um, how well uh, the piracy I use air quotes or um, archivists are able to keep hold of that. There's almost nothing that isn't available somewhere on the web at this time, but it's all done through piracy because nobody else wants to keep it up. You know, um, <clears throat> so archiving is a very important reason. Uh, the next one, which I kind of hinted to already, was unreleased titles and prototypes. Um, this is, again, where Frank Cifaldi's Lost Levels comes into it. But he's not alone. And um, there's a lot of other uh, very interesting um you know, people who put stuff together, and it's coming out every day. Hell, I just got, someone emailed it to me, but I know it's on various websites, Echo 2, Sentinels of the Universe. It's a prototype from February 19th, 2001 that never came out on the Dreamcast. Whether it's good or bad, it's awesome to know that that can exist, that somewhere we can have that and access it, you know, and video games, uh, you know, Much like Cifaldi said, other than books and film, they don't need any conversion to be archived. They are digital footprints, packages ready to go, many of them in binary that can just be like sit, on very small storage spaces and exist. You know, it's fantastic. Archive.org does this all the time. Um, But yeah, unreleased games and prototypes are amazing. And again, that's why I do that show uh, where we play a lot of stuff. We've played tons of unreleased stuff on on our show already. that, uh, um, of course, I'm blanking on them right now, but like Thrill Kill, people always ask me, how the hell did you get your hands on Thrill Kill and how do I get my hands on it? But people might not know about that if you don't show it off. And again, the really sad answer is technically the Wu-Tang game is Thrill Kill just modified for modern day consoles. But, um, but uh, yeah, anyway um so that's that's for so unreleased games and prototyping is always cool i'm always interested in those even though there's very there's varying degrees um kudu said it's bad isn't it and saiwan says if it wasn't for emulation you wouldn't have all those variants of street fighter 2 right the rainbow edition as he's talking about now granted rainbow editions were modifications to circuit boards that existed in um in arcades but Isn't that the earliest form of uh, hacking (laughs) ROMs? ROM hacking, you know? (laughs) Um, And the fan translation. Of course the fan translation is one of those things also with unreleased titles, protos, and and hacking. ROM hacking. ROMhacking.net, huge site. Doesn't host any ROMs whatsoever. They're just IPS and various other types of patches. That's a file type uh, that you can use to put English into Japanese games and vice versa. So. Uh, Next up, uh, complete games that didn't ship. Yes, so there were a lot of games that were ready to go and never came out. I show you the English translation of Mother, or Earthbound Zero. That game has been available in the emulation community since at least the mid-90s, and just now did Nintendo bring it out. And how much you want to bet, this was kind of also in Sefaldi's talk, but this is something emulation people have known forever, how much you want to bet if we check the hex editor, uh, in a hex editor, that uh, Earthbound Zero ROM, or Earthbound Beginnings, I think is what they decided to call it, uh, that there's not a hex key for INES, and that that's just a dumped ROM on the internet uh, that they downloaded and sold to us. I think he's already proven that Super Mario Bros. is a dumped ROM from the internet. So even Nintendo themselves, it's not because they're being dicks. I think they just never kept a ROM-ready version of Super Mario Brothers, and they don't know where to find one. You know, how much you want to bet if you go into the Mario All-Stars collection on the Wii, that disc I've got, if I just pop it in and look at the ROMs that it's got the hex editor. Voss 5 says, uh, Voss says, Mother 3 wouldn't be playable in most countries without emulation. That would be terrible. Correct. Now, again, the lines are blurring a little bit with the advent of flash carts. But at the same time, flash carts are super expensive. They require a decent amount of knowledge. They break. They need hardware. I don't necessarily think... Uh, that y- anymore, that you need to have a piece of hardware in order to support a piece of software. You don't need to necessarily have a Game Boy Advance SP, and as time goes on, there's going to be less and less of those in the universe for you to be able to play Mother 3 on. So, why not have an alternative way to play Mother 3? So, anyway. Um, well, I'm up on my high horse. And then the last reason that I think is very important as to why emulation is good, save states. Uh, I joke about this in the, in the previous breaking the law so I won't dwell on it but uh, I would have never seen the end of Russian attack on the NES were it not for save states I probably won't ever see the end of Battletoads but if I'm going to it's going to be because of save states so you know you kind of laugh when you see stuff like the Rare Replay Collection where they allow you to rewind time because brother we've been able to do that on fucking emulation for decades (laughs) so and they're one of the good guys anybody who's bringing these games back in a business sense is really good because it will show companies that there is marketability with this once there's marketability with this you get more releases so here's what's bad the bad part of it piracy we all know piracy is bad i'm not going to harp on it but at the same time piracy can be both a good and a bad thing right because um oh let's think of a good example um <clears throat> dragon or sorry panzer dragoon saga was released to the tune of on an episode, I recently listened to the Saturn Day episode, I said 2,500 copies. I think it was actually 25,000 copies, which still isn't that much, but look at that. 25,000 copies printed in the U.S. of Panzer Dragoon Saga, and it's a four-disc game. What is the likeliness that 20 years later you can find all four discs in great condition? And even if you do, what do you do when you're paying $400 to some guy to get rich because he happened to have it in his mother's closet, or some person who didn't know what they had walked into his shop and sold it to him for probably 50 bucks in store credit it right if you ever walk into any uh, flea market or retro store and you're offered more than about 20 bucks for your game take a step back unless it's a recent game and ask yourself why are they doing that tell them you're not interested or can you get a quote and you'll come back later run out to the car and eBay that motherfucker. like not sell it on eBay look it up on eBay go to PriceCharting.com if you're in the US find out what that's all about um, I think piracy is justified in that case it's still illegal. it doesn't make it okay but in that case like Sega's not going to put out Panzer Dragoon Saga, they're not making any attempts to do so, and if they were going to, they would have by now, they're not going to do it. Panzer Dragoon Saga, there's no way anybody's going to make any money off of it, and to top it all off, it's nearly impossible to play. So. Who cares, right? At that point, I think that's a good thing. People should be able to play those games. I think it should be available. If somebody wants to port it over, make it available on today's consoles or on PC, and charge money for it, they have every right to. I would encourage them to do so, and I will be one of the first to buy it. And I think you'll find that a lot of people like me who pirate those games will buy them if you give them the opportunity. And again, this is nothing new. I'm regurgitating something that has been talked about on emulation episodes for decades. So, piracy, that's the first one. Piracy gets bad when, and this is the part that I use, when it's abused. So, piracy is bad when you don't use it to play, um, I don't know, Little Samson on the NES. Instead, you use it to play Super Mario Brothers. Come on. That cart is so readily available, so cheap, and so digitally available. It's a sin. Right. Uh, don't do stuff like that. Or at least I ask you to please don't do stuff like that. Uh, next is abuse. So they abuse the privilege. This gives the idea that emulation one is freeware, and it's not. The people who do these emulators are very smart people. They're doing it for absolutely zero payoff, which is more than I can say for, not necessarily developers, but developers are business people too. A lot of people go, I can do that, but will you pay me to do that? And while that sounds bad at first, I mean, they're in their right to do it. These people are humans. They need to make a living. They have families, they have lives, they have income requirements. You know what I mean? Um, Not everybody has to be able to change the world just because they're intelligent. and, uh, and and there's a lot of people out there who work really hard to make these emulators happen. And they are tedious, tedious works to make it happen. Many of these emulators have been in development for over a decade trying to get everything to happen. And you come along and download a three megabyte file and can run every game on a console and you don't think anything of it. You don't think it's any big deal. But somebody worked their ass off. In fact, a lot of people worked their asses off to make that happen. And uh, I think if they could get money, they should. That's why whenever I use an emulator for, that's a really good one. That's my staple, that's what we'll talk about. My staple emulators. Anytime I can donate to them or buy it, toss them a couple bucks. Nothing to write home about, but something. You know what I mean? Um <clears throat> in addition, uh, the abuse is with the ROMs. Everybody thinks that old games should be free. Old games should not be free. You should buy Mega Man Legacy Collection, even if you've uh owned the NES card as a kid just because you owned it as a kid doesn't mean you can go pop it into an NES flash cart and call it your own you can but it's not very nice right it's not very appropriate so if you really love the Mega Man Legacy Collection you're doing it for more than 20 minutes of nostalgia you know what Throw a couple bucks in, buy the Legacy Collection, go on Virtual Console, buy Mega Man 2 for all I care. You know, just throw a couple bucks the way of the people who are trying to keep this alive. And you don't have to do it, it's just if you're actually getting consistent use out of it. Uh, The last part, and this is more on not gamers, but uh, Cy1 says it's still piracy if you're not making money out of it. Yes, it's still piracy. No, you cannot be sued. You can have a cease and desist done where you take it down. That's kind of the agreement right now is the company decides whether or not to send you a cease and desist. Most times they will because their legal department will tell them that if they don't... they're kind of giving up their patents and their rights and things like that. We've seen that many times with like Square. Square has to vehemently work. That's why they took down like the cease and desist on uh, that Chrono Trigger unofficial sequel and whatnot. Um, But uh, the other bad part is people are stealing these emulators, right? And using them for business practice. Uh, There's nothing that pisses me off more when a fair use product that says, please do not use this for commercial use and whatnot, is charging for it like Hyperkin I'm sorry I'm going to throw them under the bus Hyperkin stole a bunch of free openware emulators to use in their console they shouldn't do that if they couldn't figure it out on their own that's fine they've developed the hardware to do so you sell the hardware And you tell people like a Raspberry Pi that they got to figure out how to find the emulators on their own, it's not that hard, you know what I mean? But they wanted a marketable product, well fuck them, they need to pay the licensing fee for that then. Um, The same is true over a lot of different things, like, you know, even to a certain extent Nintendo. Nintendo will sue you with one arm and then sell you a pirated, you know, download ROM from insert ROM site here, on the virtual console the next minute that is that, that's bullshit they should develop the rom themselves and if they can't figure it out they need to go to the person who has the rom and go hey One, you can't be hosting this, and two, let's talk about how we can pay you for the licensing or figure out how to do it, right? Um, So, I hate that when, on the flip side of it, the commercial practices do it. Now, the one exception is what good old games has done, not in every case, but with DOSBox. DOSBox has given them the permission, as long as they keep it as DOSBox, as long as they are forthcoming with its presence, that they can, for free, sell DOS games that need DOSBox to run. That is an emulator of DOS. That's fine, right? Because Good Old Games isn't making money off of DOSBox per se, but they are making more games available using DOSBox. But DOSBox comes out and says, well, if it's the choice between pirating it and having to deal with the piracy world or... Lucas officially supporting and releasing X-Wing for five bucks on good old games, then fine, have DOSBox and make it available again. And that's what they've done, and I think that's a good venture. So, anyway, that's, that's the, the, the bad parts of emulation. And again, we're not even getting into what they're all capable of. Uh, guard says, but what if that if a company like Capcom has shadow all over Mega Man and killed the series, and is now puppeting its corpse to squeeze out of every last shekels, along with uh, the last goodwill? Yeah, yeah, I would say that right now Mega Man's a, a hotbed topic because both Capcom and Inafune are uh its creator are kind of doing that at this moment in my opinion. Uh that being said, um you know, I think what Sefaldi and his group over at uh, the Re Resurrected Digital Eclipse are doing with uh, that Mega Man Legacy collection is very impressive. So I, I think that's a good thing. And if you don't want it, you don't buy it. I mean, it's pretty simple. I, I think those collections are still worthwhile, especially when they've got the quality of the Mega Man Legacy collection. So again, it doesn't justify piracy, and I still stand by these. I used to fight hard against piracy. Now it's your own decision, and we're. I'm guilty of it. I'll be the first one to admit it. So who am I to judge anybody else? That's just hypocritical. Um, <clears throat> So next up, how it has moved forward and what you need. Let's talk a little bit about emulators. So, why it matters best with modern days. Okay, so, times have changed, especially over... <laughs> Inafune is a piece of shit. I'm starting to feel that way too. I don't know. But uh, anyway, um, it's it's not him. It's just the business decisions he's making and the way he's had to do business without being forthcoming. But anyway, um <clears throat> doesn't make it okay. It's just why he's doing it. Uh, so... In the modern day, there's a lot of factors. The first one is that in 2011, the HDTV was widespread. Everyone had one, but we were kind of good with just blurry messes. Well, lots come along since then, right? The Framemeister has become a big deal. Upscaling has become a big deal. And more importantly, streaming and YouTubing has become a big deal. And again, just as I say, I love the fact that I have... Uh, for example, a Dreamcast, and I love the fact that I can VGA box out of that Dreamcast and into a weird converter and send that into a capture card and send you guys crystal clear, pristine, just as it was intended to be seen, 640 by 480 or 480p VGA signal that looks fantastic on an HD TV. It also cost a lot of money to do that. I don't think everyone should have to do that, especially if all they want to do is play through Shenmue and see what it was all about, right? So these days, um, <laughs> I doubt it, Clujo. Um These days, I think uh, the reason it's important with modern days is you want something that looks good on... TVs, you have every right to play a Nintendo game that isn't a blocky mess, that doesn't have the right inputs, right? Input lag is apparently why most people who hook an NES up to an HDTV can't beat Mike Tyson's punch out, right? You shouldn't have to have that problem and you shouldn't spend thousands of dollars trying to fix it. Uh, in addition, um, if you wanna do a YouTube video, like I've done YouTube videos, You've, you can see it on my on my site. Yeah, sure, things look fine when I capture Splatterhouse on the original TurboGrafx-16 straight out of a TurboGrafx. But you know what? It doesn't matter worth a shit when I'm trying to do gameplay video and showing people, I think that was where it was, when I'm doing like version, you know, where we're actually looking at version comparisons, or when I'm doing like retrospectives, like people aren't there to see the authentic game being played. They want to see kind of what they remember it looking like, and they want to see it sharp and razor sharp, ideally in HD if they can, so they can see what the game really looked like, or at least what it looks like on a CRT TV. Because I still stand that when I look at stuff on a CRT TV and then I look at it upscaled and up in HD, it's kind of the same thing. It's kind of the same effect. It's just that doesn't carry over from a two. 40p output you know through composite into an HDTV. so i think it's more important nowadays that emulation exists and that it become that kind of bridging of the gap see he's back welcome back fortengard um next how to legally emulate so emulation is not illegal no emulators have ever been illegal so Faldi said this but again it's it's an old topic no one's ever won in an emulation lawsuit right? Um, Occasionally, there are BIOS lawsuits. You cannot sell an Intellivision emulator that has the Intellivision BIOS in there. But if you can create your own BIOS that works, well, then you're on the clear. And if there is no BIOS, like with the NES, which doesn't have a BIOS, or the ColecoVision, which doesn't have a BIOS, or even the Sega Genesis, well, you can remake those because you're just taking off the shelf parts and making it happen. There's nothing illegal about that. Now, Where it becomes illegal is the ROMs. The ROMs can sometimes be illegal, but there's even legal ways to do those if you really want to. There's tons of USB stuff out there where you can take a USB, it's got multiple cartridge ports, much like a Retron 5 or something. You stick the cartridge in there, it dumps the ROM. If you feel better about doing it that way or you don't want to go on piracy sites, there are some very safe piracy sites out there. ROM sites is how I'm sure they'd prefer to be called. instead of dumping the ROM, that's fine. And if you feel fine, I definitely do with knowing that you have Tiger Heli on the NES and you strap it into, you know, you go to a ROM site and you download it and you play it, sure, what you're doing is nonetheless illegal, but at the same time, if that's where your moral compass lies, then do it. I feel perfectly fine in doing something like that. So there are complete legal ways you can play these games and everything into the newest stuff, you can legally play the PlayStation 2 emulator and we'll talk about that. And even get a legal BIOS, you know, which is the one thing that is required to run that. So we'll talk about those once we get to the specific emulators, but thats it's totally legal these days. Um, nobody's ever won the lawsuit, but the lawsuit has fucked with people a lot um, and put some emulation projects down. Uh, next up, uh, the hardware required Again, I already talked about it. It's the upscaling. It's the frame meisters. It's the HDTVs. It's the com- converters. It's the capture cards. It's a bunch of shit. Uh, shit that I mostly own, but it's a bunch of shit. Um, next up, existing game companies are doing it and not telling us. Again, this is Nintendo with the virtual console. They're taking it and they're not telling us. Sega's doing this with just about everything. Um, Sony with the GameStation, which we'll talk about. Um, It's also uh, sad when game companies team up. So when Sony goes after the Game Station, they're backed by Nintendo and Sega. These competitors of gaming, these console wars that you know about in 1995. We like to talk about the, oh, shit, Sega just got stomped on the Saturn. Yeah, well, fucking Sega was helping promote the anti-piracy regime when the game station hit, you know? Um, And then only a few years later, not even, in the same year, the Bleemcast will come out and give Sony the big fuck you for that lawsuit, uh, even though Sega had nothing to do with it. So... You know, that's another thing to think about is it's these, you know, if you declare war, you're asking for it. And no game company, no regular company using litigation is ever going to win against the collective internet, especially in the hacker community. It's just not going to happen. You know, it's not even that dangerous or widespread. It's just too easy to replicate information. Um, Last but not least, Frank Cifaldi's talk. Again, go check it out. But, but yeah. Books, movies, video games, they all... Are you know, culture and remakes do need to exist. This is something straight out of Safaldi's talk, but he, he he refers to Uncle Buck, and I won't go too deep into it, but basically Uncle Buck has been heavily preserved. Um, in 1989, all the major movies that came out have been heavily preserved. They can easily be found on DVD, on Blu-ray, in various formats, on streaming services all over the place. That is not the case for the top grossing uh, video games of 1989. There's only like a dozen of them, and like two are available, and one was Mega Man which he was directly responsible for. Um, this is where it's, or maybe it was Mega Man Three. Sorry, my my dates are a little off. Um, but you know the point is, is that these are ready to go archival items, and they're not being archived because no one wants to do it, and there's no money in it. So um, you know. I think we all owe it to ourselves to not lose these items to history if we can't and if the companies aren't going to do it then let us archivists do it and uh, keep those things safe and I think that's important and I think it should exist and uh, you know there you go Um, then there's commercial emulation versus custom emulation this is another problem when you go to try to sell this stuff Kluju says, are they all big enough to contain an unhealthy share of crooked people? Oh, the OS emulators, VM Box and stuff. Uh, um, sorry, I'm not too familiar with VMBox, but I'll let you guys talk about VirtualBox. Uh, anyway, or maybe I am and I don't know what is VMBox, but... Uh, but yeah, I mean, the the long and skinny of it is what kind of ports do you get? You know, you talk about that, those shit ports, those shoddy work where they don't even do a decent enough job when they bring things over. Um, <clears throat> that, uh, you know, the second you give me a ROM of, like, Streets of Rage, okay? And if you don't allow me to add scan lines to it, or scale it, or keep it in original resolution, or stretched resolution, or allow me to add filters to it, or save states, what the fuck are you doing? Why are you charging me for this? I can do it for free elsewhere. Maybe I'll buy it to throw you a bone because it's now digitally available and there were licensing rights involved in that, but at the same time, if the free emulator is going to do it, guess where I'm going to be playing this? Not on your version, you know? So, um... You know, uh, with the exception of M2 and Digital Eclipse under Frank Cifaldi and various other, you know, examples that I'm blanking on right now, uh, you know, I think people have differing opinions, but I'm really pleased with uh, Sonic's Ultimate Genesis collection and, you know, uh, even the Atari collection that was on Steam, even though the emulation was kind of shoddy at best. But um, the point, at least as far as I understood it, I bought it, but uh, I'm just not too into Atari games. But anyway, the point is, is that... um, you know, if you're going to do it, you got to do it right. And you've got to do it with care and you may not need to do all of the M2 care, but you, you should make it well done, well developed and, and, and strong, you know, and it doesn't take too much. The Mega Man legacy collection was made in just over half a year with about three to five developers and biz dev people. That's it. That was it. So there you go. Now, granted one of those people was mike micah who might account for at least two people but you know hey (laughs) so anyway um so yes uh all right so also the crooked people comment was in responsibility okay who was talking about game companies oh yeah yeah um so yeah so let's jump into it so let's talk about emulators shall we uh emulators what I'm covering and why. We're gonna cover all my favorite emulators from all over the place. I get the feeling the chatters might get involved in this and uh, this is where you start writing down. You know, if you want to emulate today, where can you do it, how can you do it, and what can you do? And uh, we'll talk about some of the best ways to do it, but first let's get into a little bit of the lineage of emulators and kind of what were some of the pivotal ones um, for starters. probably one of the first and most notable emulators. Um, This will be up for debate with Nesticle, but uh, first and most notable uh, is the arcade emulator MAME. This stands for Multiple Machine Arcade, or sorry, Multiple Arcade Machine Emulator. Mame first released in 1997 for DOS. It was later ported I want to say about 2 years later as Mame32 which was a GUI Windows 32 uh EXE file that you could run Mame on because beforehand it was a lot of DOS typing you had to do like mame.exe space the rom name so you'd have like I don't know like um and they were weird names like bad dudes wasn't bad dudes it was like d ninja or something you know and then sometimes there was clone ones. so it'd be like d ninja a b or something and then you'd have to put in all your stuff so like hyphen 640 by 480 if you wanted to run in that resolution hyphen scan lines all that stuff eventually they had these front ends that would do it for you that were exes and then Mame 32 kind of blended the two um But, uh, yeah, MAME was developed uh, by Nicola Salmoria, who was uh, an Italian guy big in the the Amiga scene. He was an Amiga developer. And... um, And... In addition to that, uh, he went on to go, okay, well, so what is an arcade? An arcade is really a PCB board, um, you know, a, a, a circuit board that uh, locks into a harness and then is looking for certain things. It's looking for a monitor. It's looking for a control input. It's looking for a power supply, all this stuff. So why don't we, since all of the actual game, like you think about it, it was like hardware. It was a console and an engine all built into one, although the engines were all pretty much assembly language. Um but yeah, it was a console and an engine all built into one big box. So he made a way to take these console engines in one big box and make them into one. You know what I mean? And, and for the earlier stuff, that's probably a little harder, although it was probably smaller items. So like pac mans a smaller game, but at the same time it was a little more complex than say like JAMA. Jamma was a harness type that all had a standardized input and was basically every game from like the late 80s into the mid 90s and beyond so you take jama once you can support jama for the most part just like any jama arcade harness can support any jama pcb board mame could easily support a ton of jama games just like that, by doing it. You know, and he did the same thing with Neo Geo games. Eventually, MAME figured out Neo Geo, and eventually MAME figured out, you know, all kinds of other stuff. And then in the cut, there were other things like Daphne that would come along, which was for the Laserdisc games, which was their proprietary stuff. And MAME found a way to integrate them in. Anyway, it all gets very complicated very fast. But you need to know that MAME was one of those first, like, the internet comes together and does a good thing. And the reason why MAME, I think, went under the radar was because, Like, there was no money in arcades. People didn't know how to bring them forward, especially arcade compatible. Nobody was fighting over the rights of arcades. There was very little re-releases, you know. I think there were various reasons why. MAME was incredibly difficult to use and do. It had legal licenses, you know, and things like that. So, you know, MAME's kind of the exception, not the rule, but, you know, and MAME best proves that you cannot sue someone for making an emulator. You know, you can sue someone for having the ROM especially if they're selling or distributing it, but not the emulator. And um, MAME was the first time where it goes, okay, we can make this work, you know what I mean? And it took a long time. With every MAME update, there's some new arcade game that gets added and some that breaks. You know, It takes a lot of revisions to get all these things working. And unlike many other emulators, it doesn't have a finite library. There's arcade games still coming out, even though they're very few and far between. but uh and then you know from there there were even more buildups there's mess multi-emulator super system which uh uses the Mame core and it extends to be kind of an all-in-one emulator uh but i think it needs core components from different emulators but either way the point is is that it's able it's capable of emulating 994 unique systems with over 2,000 variations like that's ridiculous um mame and mess have also gone open source and so as Safaldi was talking about from a business perspective the ideal concept is archive everything in mess, um, make it all available and archived there and then start licensing it out and distributing it. Sure, certain things like maybe DuckTales won't be possible because of uh, rights, but at the same time, um, you know maybe there is a cheap enough number to make RoboCop available again and beyond that get out of licenses like who says the Cryon Conquest can't be had for four bucks, you know what I mean? That's a personal favorite of uh, the late NES days for me, so that's why I'm mentioning it. But anyway, um, it starts to be a really cool idea, and it's ironic that one of the first emulators that's out there can also be the gateway to the Ultimate Archive. So, uh, But probably the most notable for me and a lot of people who started emulating in, uh, in the Windows 95, 98 days was uh none other than nesticle so if you're not familiar with nesticle uh and this kind of tells you everything that uh um that you need to know um you know that was an emulator that was released for dos windows 95 uh in 1997 by sardu of bloodlust software um people will point out this in any article you read about it uh, that uh, you know it it had a bloody hand for your cursor it had uh, you know it's called nesticle which is basically an NES testicle is what that's standing for um, the original version had the fecal Lord who would talk to you you know he was the shit man um, you know there there's all kinds of you know kind of very childish humor involved with nesticle but you know what Nesticle lets you take a very small, like 32 kilobyte game that you grew up paying large sums of money for and trying to hunt down, and allowed you to replay things like Excite Bike on your computer. And it wasn't great, but it ran pretty good. Um, early on, it didn't support a lot of the mappers. Punch Out, because of its uh, MM2 chip which uh, was required to get the large characters on screen. And, of course, Castlevania 3 is a very famous example with, I think that was the MMC5, might have been the VRC6. I can't remember which one's which. I think the MMC5 is what it was. You know, they couldn't get it to play for a long time. Uh, there were lots of games like that in early Nesticle. Um, but you know what? They eventually got it. Um, This was the first time people were able to play imports. I never even knew about the Japanese scene. I didn't know there was an original Super Mario Bros. 2. It was fascinating to me to get to know a whole new Mario game that looked like Mario 1, definitely wasn't Mario 2, and was hard as balls. Um... But more importantly, I think Nesticle was the gateway drug for everybody for the emulation scene. Not just for playing emulators, but more importantly for creating them. This started emulation, emulators, hacking, patching games, fan translations, playthrough records, and even eventually tool-assisted speedruns. Nesticle was basically discontinued in 1998 when Hacker, by the... Very terribly named MindRape, actual name Donald Moore, stole the source code from Samba off of a Sardu file share. And, um, and then uh, Sam, uh, sorry, Sardu uh, discontinued the project after that. But Nesticle, nonetheless, was very important um yes <laughs> so I1 says maybe companies should buy up old licenses of say data east romstar Exidy, etc and bring out a humble bundle well it's funny you mentioned that data east actually was bought by actually who bought the data east library i know i wasn't it konami i know they own hudson like a lot of those things are bought up and then just wasted you know and that's the problem is these japanese companies who don't release some of these things but i completely agree like a lot of this stuff is just laziness or holding on to properties even square like they admit it they're like give us a mascot tell us what we can sell you know they're they're desperate to find somebody who will pay them to use gex because they don't know what the fuck else to do with him and they don't want to go through the effort of putting it out like either do or don't shit or get off the pot but don't fucking expect me to tell you what to do with gex so you can make money god you know i've 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 met drug dealers who make me better deals than that anyway Uh, Next up is the commercial emulator. So that comes in the PlayStation era. First and most notable would be the GameStation in 1999. Uh, GameStation was by Connectix Software. It sold for $49.99 on the Mac, and it played only legal discs in your Mac. It was limited to NTSC at first, but in the year 2000, it added PAL, Uh, Of course, hackers quickly made a quote unquote mod chip, which I think was just a patch uh, for the software to allow backups. And of course, the software is then very popular. Uh, Sony put a software freeze on it while it sued Connectix. And although Connectix eventually had a judge rule against Sony, uh, the loss of sales during this time lowered the value of the company majorly. Uh, It was then at that time that it wasn't a viable product. And of course, Sony bought them up because their company was worth a lot less because of. Of their own doing uh, and then they shut it down and decided they weren't going to do it um you know, I've heard people say, though, that it definitely showed Sony that there was importance with backwards compatibility, but in in my opinion, I think Sony knew what it had with the PlayStation. The PlayStation was a flash in the pan. It was huge. It was the NES of the CD consoles. Like, they knew what they had, and they knew they needed to support that back library, and it would keep people faithful in the PlayStation 2 generation, which is exactly what it was. So i one said, man, that's a shame. Having a Data East back catalog and not using it. Well, just in case you're not familiar, the Data East collection is available on the wii and while it's not everything you want especially like robocop and whatnot uh, it does have bad dudes versus dragon ninja and various others i think it's 20 25 games and you could probably get it for pretty cheap um let me check i think jams told me about this though i hope the data east collection has uh come out uh in other countries other than america but let me just triple check that it's called the data east arcade classics um, Majesco put it out. And, of course, it's North America only. That's why you don't know about it, Psy-1. Yeah, it's got Burger Time, Heavy Barrel, Caveman Ninja, Burning Ranger. i sorry, Burning Rubber, Bad Dudes and Dragon Ninja, Street Hoop, Side Pocket. Um, all kinds of stuff. Uh, two Crude Dudes. Um, but, uh, yeah, I... Uh, and it looks like... Yeah, it looks like that Wii game was only available in North America. Well, you know what? I'm not telling you to do it, but uh, you'd be in your right to uh, get your hands on that some way and maybe drop it in Dolphin, which we'll talk about later and maybe giving that a go. Uh, Guard says, Karnov must rise again. Couldn't agree with you more, man. Um, Karnov's great. I'll even give Chelnov a little run for his money, although Karnov was better. Um, but yeah, yeah, so... So yeah, that was, that was terrible. Sony literally buried GameStation for being... Like, Sony didn't even care when they sued GameStation that they knew it was completely legal. Like, well, maybe they didn't. They were trying to defend it. But in the end, it ended up being completely legal, but it still buried the company nonetheless. It still showed everybody don't fuck with these companies and don't make a commercial emulator, which I think is bullshit. Um, Bleem was in 1999 as well. Came out for 49.99 shortly after GameStation. Uh, this was created by David Herpalsheimer, I don't know, and Randy Linden. But once it went commercial, it received help from a handful of people, many of which would go on to later found Rovio. A little Angry Birds action there. Um, this was a Windows and somewhat Dreamcast emulator for the PlayStation that was pro... Or, sorry. It... I made it sound like it was a Dreamcast emulator for the PlayStation. Sorry, it was a PlayStation emulator for Windows and somewhat the Dreamcast that was programmed in assembly, which allowed games to run in low-end hardware because I believe the PlayStation was programmed in C, much like most of the consoles of the time. Um, Because of this, it also allows you to take advantage of the stronger hardware to quote-unquote enhance games. Power PCs can make for better visuals than the console. That's nothing new. We'll hear about it later in this show. Unfortunately, Bleem, if you ever used it, I did, was buggy as hell. The only game that worked without a problem was One, Literally, the game one PlayStation exclusive. And the rest all had major bugs of some kind. Additionally, the only games working on the Dreamcast, known as Bleemcast, was Gran Turismo 2, Metal Gear Solid, and Tekken 3. So get this. This is how you actually played it. You would put Bleemcast into the... Co- you'd buy it for $20. bucks. you would have to own the game already. So you'd have to own Tekken 3. You bought Bleemcast uh Tekken 3 like the disc as well for 20 bucks you bought Tekken 3 for like 40 then you would go home you'd put Bleamcast in your dreamcast load it up let it load the emulator into like the ram then it would have you pop the tray open it up pop Tekken in there close it then it would try to run it it's crazy um There were also plans for larger packs of over 100 games to be sold as Bleemcast packs, but that never panned out. Uh, Pretty much the company went under beforehand. Of course, as you would imagine, Pirates cracked it. Nowadays, you can still use Bleem, although it's a very lackluster choice, uh, and Bleemcast to attempt to run any game, but the results remain the same. I remember trying to run Persona 2 on Bleemcast, and there's all kinds of graphical glitches with it. Uh, The one game I remember running pretty well on both Bleemcast and on Bleem on PC. Even back then, with my Voodoo 2 card, uh, which I think was 128 megabytes, it was huge, um, was uh, the original Tenchu by From Software. <laughs> but uh, the original Tenchu was also very easy to find and play at that time. But anyway, <coughs> um, Bleem was also sued by Sony during the same circumstances as Connectix, and of course, uh, Sony lost every point. Uh, Sony even lost a claim because Bleem used a PlayStation game screenshot on the box and marketing. Sony even lost that claim. <laughs> Unfortunately, the legal fees for the defense against Sony bankrupted the company, and Bleem went other under. So there's both commercial emulators that attempted to come out. Both were. You know, varying degrees of success. Both put under by Sony, who was completely in the wrong the whole time. But the legal fees and the business effects put both companies under. Um, but uh, you put the Bleemcast and the Dreamcast? This is stupid. Video games were a mistake. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway. uh Voss says uh i have one it's not great haha okay well there you go (laughs) um dc nate's talking about steam cards dc nate hit me up spiders venom on steam maybe we can trade out i think i'm the same way as you i have like three over on all the steam summer sale cards except for one card which is the only one i've never gotten so maybe we can make that work but anyway Um, Then the next one and before we get into my favorite emulators, let's talk about Ultra HLE in 1999. So the Nintendo 64 was what Ultra HLE emulated. And this is a very notable emulator from 1999 because of what it did. So Ultra HLE was able to recreate games from a three-year-old console at playable frame rates. It's very important. The Nintendo 64 was, much like Dreamcast, was on store shelves, but Ultra HLE is free. In addition, games were smaller on the Nintendo 64. Cartridge games are really small. They are between like six, like you almost think you're you're wrong when you download Super Mario 64 and it's six megabytes. You're like, is that right? Yes, no, it's only six megabytes. The max, the biggest cartridge out there, and it's the exception, not the rule, is Resident Evil 2, which is 64 megabytes. Even at 1999 speeds, you could download that in a handful of, you know, at most an hour if you were using like 28.8. You know what I mean? You could download that and play it. So that was, now again, you couldn't have played you know, Resident Evil 2 on Ultra HLE at the time, but that was a big deal. Um, so this was a, this was basically emulating something that was out on the market and active. Uh, previous console emulators were mostly in assembly, and emulators would recreate low-level functionality. Ultra HLE was different because Ultra HLE realized that Nintendo 64 was in C and said, well, what if we found all the shortcuts... When it ever made a call, you know, basically reprogram the game with better call functions and optimization, so that we could actually, and uh, so that we could actually make a better program C game, a better optimized C game than Nintendo did, and therefore run it through a computer and actually get playable frame rates. And that's what they did. That's why Ultra HLE was playable. Um, It wasn't without its crutches, though. Ultra HLE creates its own C libraries uh, because, of course, it's doing back-end processes and and cutting corners. It also relied heavily upon the Glide API, which was Vita 3D effects cards. If you're not familiar with what an API is, this is kind of like a front-end that uh, allows graphics to be rendered in a certain way. And uh, it basically... I mean, it's DirectX (laughs) is the best way I can put it. But um, again, it's very dependent upon certain hardware and making things work with it. So you had to have a 3D effects card. But of course, the hacker community crea- quickly created adapters, software adapters, to allow 3D non-3D effects cards to take advantage of the Glide API. Um, because it recreates C library callbacks, every game had to be re-emulated, which is why Ultra HLE only was compatible with about 20 games at the end, and it only started with 17. Um, but uh, uh sorry worm if you can or work if you can put the uh the name of the game to the youtube video i don't want to click on it because it'll come through on the live feed but um yeah uh you know, it was it, it, it was huge. And I think the biggest deal, and a lot of people who remember back to this time, uh, Frank Sifaldi definitely brought it up. Uh, somebody else did on their retrospective of Ultra HLE when I was doing my research today. Uh, but I remember this because I fucking had a PC, and I had an N64, and it was pissing me off because I could run on my... Uh, I think I had a 3DFX card at that time. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think I did. Um Was uh, Ocarina of Time, Ocarina of Time. It was 90 days old when when the Ultra HLE version came out. So it was three months old and here you are for free able to download this like 10 megabyte file that could easily be shared online and was the ability to play Ocarina of Time. It's probably why so many of the speedrunners are used to it. These kids grew up playing it for free on emulators. I don't know that but I'm guessing. Um... Of course, Nintendo tried to sue the creators. They were known as Reality Man and Epsilon. And the moment that happened, they faded into obscurity and discontinued the Ultra HLE project. Um, of course, in 2002, source code leaked. And the result was Ultra HLE 2064 as open source software. But by then, better emulators existed like the ones we'll talk about. And it wasn't really that worthwhile. But, um, yeah, emulators are, are pretty big of a deal. Um, so, yeah, you're right, Drew. I don't know, Pixelbot is is hiding, so I'll just uh, pull it up real quick. Uh, dynamic robot manipulation, that I'd like to look into. Anyway, so long story short, that's kind of some of the pivotal emulators and the uphill battle that comes with it, which is why there's such this commercial cons- company against consumer kind of thought process with emulation. Um... So the question comes, all right, great, there's a billion fucking emulators out there. All I want to do is I'm running a fucking Windows 7 PC or laptop, and I want to run Super Mario Brothers. Fred, what do I do? Where do I go? What is the emulator I should download? What works the best? Because if you go on the internet, a thousand people have a thousand different opinions, and I'm no exception. However, what I will tell you is what I like is something that's easy to set up, easy to use, works with everything, and does whatever I want it to. Right? Short list. (laughs) But believe it or not, this list, I've found most of those. Most mainstream consoles can be emulated uh, to perfection. Uh, and that's kind of what Sefaldi's so- whole pitch was, now that they can be emulated to perfection, why not? You know? So let's talk about the best emulators of today for emulating the different things of today. Uh, FortinGuard says, Ho, 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 Fred Rojas. You thought we didn't hear you say cunt by accident, but we did. (laughs) Nice. Uh, (laughs) And I just said it again. Um, So the best of today. For arcades, it's still MAME. MAME is still the one you want to go with. Um, There's so many easy ways to do it and so many different ways to do it. Um, But basically you want to get... Um, a MAME front end or MAME thirty two. You want to get a ROM set. Uh, There's no way I can really think of outside of piracy to do that. You're not gonna be some crusader who's gonna collect all these PCB boards, and even if you did, it'd be a waste of fucking time and money. Let the arcade collectors have their PCB boards. They don't need you fucking shipping that shit across the US, burning out those PCB boards, making them repair them. John's Arcade has a whole section on the appreciation of the arcade. If you're emulating an arcade, that's not what you're interested in. You want to play the games and see what they're all about. Um, Work'em, I know, does it. Uh, several of my other people do it. Jam does it, and I do it through an Xbox. You can do Raspberry Pi, Xbox, uh, Wii, PlayStation 2, although PlayStation 2 is not the best one. I think the Xbox is probably the oldest hardware you should do this with. Um, and various other things, not to mention dedicated gaming PCs can very easily become main boxes Um, If you're wanting to do those but uh, they require very little hardware in fact I want to say Intel integrated graphics shared memory of over 512 megabytes Should do you just fine and all you need is at best a single core processor running between 2.5 and 3 gigahertz So your Pentium 4 models find an old Pentium 4 PC that has 2 gigs of RAM and an Intel integrated like 2000, you know HD graphics card and runs Windows XP at least, and pff, you're good to go. Bam, instant MAME cab for 50 bucks. If you want one, hit me up. I've got at least two computers I could probably part with that I'll just charge you shipping for. I'm about to throw them at the dump anyway. But, uh, yeah, MAME's easy. Now, the hard part with MAME's uh, with MAME is still getting it to run and getting all the ROM set up but a lot of that stuff has become pretty easy you just buy a ROM s- or buy you find do not buy you find and download a ROM set that's a complete ROM set based off of a particular MAME version you find that MAME version and you're good to go if you ever want to know which MAME version to pick there's no definitive answer newer is often better but MAME gets updated like every three months um just uh, go read like the newest build of MAME and work your way back. And it'll tell you what's supported, what's not supported, what works, what doesn't work, compatibility lists and whatnot. Find one that you don't care about the handful of golden tea early 2000s games that don't work in it. Use that one and then find a ROM set that's compatible with that. You're good to go. I think the compatible number of ROM sets, most are around 4,000. Um, but, uh, but, and you can have as many as little or as little as you want. I mean, you're talking the upwards of 60 gigs for the entire set. Um, but uh, I think you can get as many as like five or 6,000 and as little as like one. You can have a main cab that's just running Donkey Kong. Some people in my local arcade do. So... You know, that's up to you. Um, You're gonna have to learn some stuff. You're gonna have to waste some time. You're gonna have to read up on this, but once you get it set up, you're pretty good to go. And a lot of people out there have created packages that make the setup process quite short and easy. Um, I just endorse Piracy. Thank you, Hecht. (laughs) I did for arcades. I did, I did, I did. Um, But of course, remember, uh, you know, you gotta delete, uh, well, I would say Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but guess what? licensing deals it's no longer available so I guess you can keep that now same with X-Men but you definitely want to delete the Atari uh, drag Dungeons and Dragons the Mistara group unless you're buying it digitally can't do it capcom arcade cabinet that's 30 games you can't have um and 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 fuck you if you do it just to emulate for free street fighter 2 jesus christ aren't there enough versions of that out there you could buy anyway (laughs) um i'm talking about fucking 1990s willow yeah motherfucker that is what you emulate Mame for fucking willow uh you emulate Mame for aliens versus predator capcom brawler uh alien 3 the gun Yeah, that's what you do. Carnival. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And nothing better than good old Punch-Out, original Punch-Out, where you're not Little Mac, you're the green grid guy that looks like the Hulk, which I think is still called Little Mac, though. Anyway, NES. This is an important one because the NES was a very hard... Uh, console to emulate to the point that aside from virtual console I didn't do NES emulation I hated NES emulation I was flash carts in virtual console all the way but it sucked because if something didn't come out for a virtual console I couldn't play it right and there's a lot of Nintendo games that aren't on the virtual console more importantly and again I'd only want to do that if I'm playing it on an HDTV or for a stream more importantly um I wasn't going to do injectable ROMs even though I soft modded my Wii and stuff like that because you can break your Wii. Why do I want to fuck with all that? Why not use an emulator where when it crashes or I inject it wrong, all it does is it crashes and I have to reboot or, heaven forbid, reinstall the thing and I'm not out any money. Um, well, I finally found one that I really like. It's been around for a while, but... Uh, i want to say i've been using it for about six months now it's called fce ux it is the third iteration of fce or the family computer emulator and it was originally developed by biro um, then fce ultra FCEU, came out it was programmed by Zodnizzle <laughs> X-O-D-N-I-Z-E-L Zodnizzle uh, and that's where all of the crazy compatibility stems from FCEU is responsible for uh, supporting the odd mappers like the Konami chips in Akumaju Dinsetsu etc. FCEU integrated recording options, speed run timers, con- uh, computer assisted speedruns and even uncompressed recording. This thing will output to 1080p uncompressed to the tune of about, I think it's about 4 gigs per 15 minutes um, in an AVI format. Uh, in 2004, the project went dark until it went open source and was resurrected in 2006 and finally released as open source in 2008. The men responsible were Anthony Giorgio and Mark Dolliner for the resurrection, as well as Zeromus, uh Z e r o m u s and Sebastian Ports for the actual F C E U X. It has then received tons of help from the community and leadership in contributions. Um, that is both programming contributions and financial. I was so impressed with this emulator after playing so many others that I went out and gave them money because I think this is fantastic. Um, I like it because it solves the biggest problem with emu- NES emulation screen tearing, thus making vSync necessary, and input lag. Previously, you just had to accept that there would either be one or the other. Saiwan one says, The is a great side-scroller from Capcom. Yes, it is. And although it is on the Genesis or Mega Drive, it originally was an arcade game. And I think the arcade game is the better version. And of course, Heck talks about Saturday Night Slam Masters. Fuck yeah. Um, uh, but uh, yeah. So most emulators out there could either do like perfect you know, no input lag like Nesticle, but screen tearing, or you'd V-sync it up and then there would be input lag and it just didn't feel right. So this one does both, it nails it. It's got no input lag that I can see or not enough for it to affect even the timing-intensive NES games like Punch-Out. And it has smooth scrolling, smooth as all get out. Does it just like the NES did. Um, it even emulates like slowdown. You can either overclock it so that it doesn't have like the slowdown and the and the hitchiness and stuff like that that an NES game would have. Or you can overclock it, and it or you can make it authentic and it does. Um, because good emulators emulate everything even the flaws of games uh, because it's using the actual original package code the source code Um, in addition it has a ton of resolution options you can get up to 1080p and higher i think you can go 4k with it Um, it has mods uh, tool assistance, recording, hacks. You can hack the game. You can put in cheats. You can game genie it. You can hex code it. Uh, and it even has graphical filters that include throwing in scan lines, but that's an easy one. And tons of shaders. This can look like the most razor sharp, jaggy as fuck game you've ever seen. Or they can totally smooth it out and add like very nice. Uh, edges and anti-aliasing and all kinds of various stuff and it's not anti-aliasing as you understand it. it's not old school or it's not new school anti-aliasing it's old school it looks kind of weird and watercolory almost uh to me it's the first and only quintessential plug-and-play emulator you literally just download it and go um you just uh oh you need to bring your own roms of course but that's about it um FCUX is currently available on Windows, Mac, OS 10, Linux, Pepperpad and GP2X, which are portable Linux consoles, PS2, GameCube, PSP, and the Wii. I use it on Windows. Windows tends to have the strongest uh, performance and, um, and um, like options out there, uh, probably because it relies a little bit on OpenGL or uh, DirectX12, uh, or sorry DirectX. Maybe not necessarily twelve APIs. Um, another uh, another runner-up is Nestopia. Uh, this was the one that somebody told me fixed all my problems, and I tried a couple of years back. But it introduces too much input lag for me. It's uh, it's not usable. I can totally notice it. But its VSync is great. Um, it's also nowhere near as feature complete as FCE UX. Um, and apparently, if you do want to find the happy in between for input lag and vSync that actually solves both, apparently RetroArch, which is an open source multi emulator, so you just give it the Nestopia core, can do it. But RetroArch is extremely hard to set up. I was having issues myself with getting it to work properly, and it had this weird. XMB like PS3 style, you know, front end loader kind of UI, and I just really didn't care for it. So, uh, like I said, if you like traditional Windows style, plug and play, Alt Enter goes to full screen, and you just play the shit out of stuff. And it even works with Shadow Play. Uh, that uh, and and plays TV on Radeon cards. There you go. That's what you want. You want FCEUX. Um. So yes uh real quick to <laughs> he, he's putting it out there let me spell it real quick just so people can find it easily it's f as in frank c is in cat e is in epsilon u as in uranus and x as in xylophone f-c-e-u-x go check it out Next up, for the Sega library, believe it or not, Sega, since it kept building upon itself in the same processors processors and whatnot, one emulator can support many, many, many consoles. Uh, And of course, the one and only option is Kega, K-E-G-A, Fusion. Kega Fusion. It's now, I think, just called Fusion. Uh, And it hasn't been updated since 2010, but it's still around, and... um, Uh, Steve Snake, who's the developer, is still accepting doing projects and accepting donations. I gave Steve Snake 10 bucks for Kega a long time ago. Um, Oh, real quick, just to jump back. Also, um, Ars Technica is hosting, uh, the guys who did that 3D NES emulator are selling it. I think they're selling it a little too high at 30 bucks. But then again, it is a 3D emulator. Um, But much like kind of virtual reality, be careful what you ask for. It doesn't do too much with the games. I think 30 bucks is a little high for me right now, and the support isn't great. If they get a larger library, they might get 30 bucks out of me. But right now, I'm just not that adamant about 3D games. But it has made for some pretty impressive YouTube videos. So that just came out this week. Check it out. Just look up Ars Technica and the 3D NES emulator. You can buy it from those developers. They have every right to charge for it. It's an impressive-looking thing. It's just not the package I find suitable right now for myself. Anyway, uh, so yeah, Steve Snake made Kega Fusion. This supports most Sega consoles. The SG-1000, the SC-3000, the Mark three, and the Master System. Those are all kind of derivative works of one another. The Genesis or Mega Drive, the Sega CD or Mega CD, the 32X, and even the learning software, the Pico is all supported by Kega Fusion. So, Psy1 um, says, uh, I got my original Xbox modded emulation up with CoinOps 7, runs a dream. Yes, same thing, that's what I use as CoinOps. Ops. Um, But uh, anyway, uh, Fusion is most important because it's able to perfectly emulate all forms of Sega's platforms other than a handful of Genesis games that uh, utilize, obviously, the Yamaha YM2612 sound chip um that's a notoriously difficult sound chip to emulate no one's gotten it down but kega fusion does a pretty good job and everything that's on the screen will look fantastic so you hopefully won't mind um the handful of times i have heard the glitches it's not been that noticeable but it is there nonetheless it's not a perfect beast um but it does have 100 percent support with every game Um, Fusion supports Windows OS X Linux and requires a Sega CD and Sega 32x BIOS file to play games from those platforms there is no good way to rip a Sega CD BIOS there is no good way to rip a Mega CD BIOS and there's no good way to rip a Sega 32x BIOS so what do you do you go to the internet you illegally download a BIOS set and you've got them ready to go remember that the BIOS basically just tells you what region the bios is for originally it was for region encoding but of course kega region frees everything if you're doing it in the real world you would want like if you're doing it on a flash cart you want the european um a bios for playing european pal games and you want the japan mega cd for japanese games and the us one for us games but that doesn't really matter much you will have to go find those please do not ask where they are i will neither host nor distribute nor tell you where to find them that is unfortunately illegal and i cannot do Um, So what can it do? It supports scaled resolutions and it even supports 60 frames per second on some of the Windows platforms. There are hacks on how to do it, just Google it and you'll find it pretty easily. But yes, you can achieve 1080p 60 for Sonic the Hedgehog, if you really want to. Of course, it has scan lines, tons of graphical filters, recording. Yes, you can record everything. Tool assistance, tool-assisted speedruns, emulation of items like Sega CD's read and access lights. You want the little green and red lights to be at the bottom of your screen so you know what the Sega CD was blinking about if you had a Sega CD1 console? That shit will be emulated in there. They will do everything. It's a catch-all for basically the entire Sega library from the 80s and up to the mid-90s. It is a fantastic piece of software. Um, I love it. I absolutely love it. It is my catch-all for all Sega, of course. Um, the one thing I will say, runner-up, Gens, G-E-N-S. Gens is great, but it's got limited support, especially for the Sega CD32X library. And there are definitely reasons to like it and potential use overall, but uh, and even potentially over Fusion, but just not as far as I've seen for what I'm trying to do. So if you want to play the Sega family, it's Kega Fusion. That, again, is another just... Just download and run aside from those BIOS files. Next up, the Game Boy Family. These are in a chronological order if you're not figuring this out. Oh, I should point out, <laughs> out of Kega Fusion, that also includes Game Gear. I forgot to write Game Gear in there, but Game Gear is supported on that as well. Of course, it'll run Game Gear games, no problem. Um, Game Boy Family, that's Game Boy, Game Boy Color, and Game Boy Advance, what you're going to want to use there is V-B-A-M, that stands for Visual Boy Advance M, so it's V as in Visual, B as in Boy, Advance as in... A is in advance and M is in Mary, VBA-M. It's programmed by Julian Henry Hitchcock and the VBA team and last released uh, in 2015. It, like many other emulators on the list, converges the best parts of lots of different emulators uh, and puts them into one nice package. What does VBA-M allow you to do? Well friends, it has grayscale, it has color filters, it has scaling, it can go 1080p. It has full screen mode, filters, recording. I don't know if it does scan lines because those weren't really in those games, but maybe it does, I bet it does. Um, It has IPS patching, which means you can patch mother, well not mother three, wait. Yeah, you can patch Mother 3's uh, fan translation right there in the emulator. You just have to download the patch and then just say, put them together. It has turbo buttons, something that was never in any of those Game Boy games. It has turbo mode, which speeds it up and moves things along. It basically makes the game run at a faster frame rate. Um... Not just a faster frame rate, like in duplicating the frame rate, it duplicates the speed of the game as well. Um, And it also has multiplayer. I think it's only local multiplayer, but I could be wrong about that. You want to talk about a catch-all? This is the one. Um, it's available on Windows, but DirectX is required, so make sure your libraries are updated. Max OS X, Linux. Amiga. You Amiga fans will be pleased to see that it's on the Amiga OS 4 and Eros aftermarket OSs. Runs on the GameCube, runs on a Wii, and it even runs on Zune HD. Those Microsoft people are not left out in the cold. <laughs> um, But yes, uh, Hect goes, yes, I need a better GBA emulator for my Yu-Gi-Oh games. Well, there you go. You've got Visual Boy Advance. I think it even has the little things you haven't thought about. Like it knows how to, oh, why am I blanking on it? What is, Boktai, Boktai, the the thing that needs the sensor for the day, daylight and time and stuff although it might be boktai has that hacked out of it in a patch either way it can support stuff like that so there is competition but nothing that brings all these things together in one nice package like that all right the snes everybody loves the snes everybody knows Um, yes exactly um Everybody knows and loves the SNES, so what emulator should you use? In my opinion, you should use SNES 9X. Uh, convergence of Gary Henderson's SNES 96 and Jeremy Coots' SNES 97, they merged them into a single project that launched in 1997. Now, it should be important to note that in 1997, when this project launched, I don't believe many, if all any SNES games were fully playable. I know they didn't have sound for a long time. I don't think they were up to full speed. I mean, these game, these emulators take till like, I think it was 2003 or four when a good software library was ready to go. But, It was the first emulator to support things like Super FX. It was also the first emulator to support audio. And it took everything to the next level with its scaling, visual filters, and even online netcode. Yes, you can play Mortal Kombat against people online, X-Band style, thanks to SNES 9X. I believe the entire SNES library is completely supported. And I'm fairly certain it's supported with 100% emulation. I feel confident about that. There may be some weird outliers there, but not so much. Um, It's also the number one tool-assisted option and has Turbo Mode, which apparently is for getting through those JRPGs that have incredibly slow pacing. Is that Star Ocean Voss? Is that one of them? But uh, anyway, Voss5 says, Solar Sensor, I think it's hacked out. I have the second Bokhtai game physically, though. Oh, well, there you go. Uh, yes, the Solar Sensor. Thank you very much, Voss. And Voss, let me know. Is the original Star Ocean on SNES? Do you want to have turbo mode for that? <laughs> um, it's available on Windows, OS X, Linux, Pocket PC. That's right. Go out and get your early Palm competitors. Uh, PSP. Amiga OS 4 is supported. iOS, Android, and even Windows Phone 8 as SNES 8X. The only reason to have a Windows phone. (laughs) Um, Cluju asks, uh, Boktai's a cool idea. Is it fun? I'd love to get into it. That's a conversation for a different one. But please have at it in the the chat for everybody who wants to. Um, I'd join in if I could type and talk at the same time. Uh, In short, this is just another quick plug-and-play emulator for your SNES needs. The competitor, ZSNES, is pretty damn good itself. Uh, It's DOS-based, but it does have a Windows 32 EXE as of late. And uh, it's a bit more basic, but you'll feel right at home if you haven't played a PC game or run an emulator since, like, the late 90s. So there is that. You can use it. It's just SNES 9X is so much better for for making things, you know, impressive. You know what I mean? But... uh, Uh, voss says star ocean is more real time you really want uh you really don't want turbo there but yes it's SNES. okay well there you go uh cool it sounds like star Ocean's not one you need uh next up here's one people don't talk about too much people aren't too quick to emulate it but i think you should because it's quickly becoming an emulation only console the pc engine or turbo graphics 16 or super cd Now, what emulator could I be talking about? I'm talking about Utake. That's O O T A K E, Utake. Uh, This is a free and spot on emulator that rivals the Magic Engine, which will be the hotbed one everybody will tell you to get. Which is a $30 emulator that will be thrown at you anytime you look for best emulators of the PC Engine. Now, it should be noted that Utake and Magic Engine both do, as far as I can tell, 100% emulation of these games. Silky smooth, no tearing, no nothing, can do all kinds of stuff. The difference is, is Utake is free. That's the only real difference I can think of. Now, there are some some downsides, some caveats, I should say. First downside is Utake was originally released in Japanese. It's been roughly translated to English, and that doesn't really matter too much once you get it running, but to get Utake started takes a little bit of work, and it's a little bit confusing. It's not very user-friendly. There are guides out there, though. I'm looking at the one on fantasy anime you might want to check out. Also, it will load Hue car ROMs without any effort in the main menu of the game or of the program when you load it up. But if you want to play CD titles, you'll need to get your hands on the Super CD BIOS cards. Again, just like everything else, these are downloadable BIOSes. They actually went into... Watch Cron CD 1 if you want to see how this worked, but these were actual cards that went to the cart slot of a Turbo Duo or a Turbo Graphics or PC Engine when you had the Super CD attachment and uh, basically gave it a BIOS. You need to have those cards. If you want full emulation of all titles, you'll want the Japanese system card 1.0 which is only for juoki or altered beast you need the American 3.0 which is compatible with every single game on the super CD systems and then of course the arcade CD which is Japan only for the handful of arcade CDs that came out Um, the CD games also need to load from actual CD-ROM discs um, which is kind of interesting so it won't let you give it an ISO or one of those bin plus mp3 formats that you can use that's another thing I didn't talk about with kega fusion you know like the original version was ideally BIN in queue for the the ISOs or a full ISO rip to make them smaller a lot of people do because usually there is one track which is the programming or the binary then every other track is tracks two through you know 50 sometimes uh, in redbook audio which took up a lot of space well you put them into mp3 format and suddenly they're a fraction of their size kega fusion supports all that this does not Uh, i think magic magic engine does but this does not so you'll literally need to put a cd into your drive and then you can install it from there it'll read and rip the cd and then it'll let you play it it doesn't even act like an xbox one nowadays where if it's installed it needs the disc in there no one and done So technically, if you have a big enough hard drive and you have enough people you can borrow all the games from, you can get the whole library. I may or may not know somebody who's doing a CD project that might be doing something like this Um, for archive purposes, of course, Uh, because remember, CD media does not last forever. Uh, With that in mind, um, the other option is uh, you could just burn them. You just download the ISOs. They do exist readily available online. Uh, and uh, you can rip them onto disks. You can burn them onto disks, pop the disk in. Utake doesn't know the difference. It'll, as long as it's the a legitimate copy of the disk, it'll take it, it'll install it, and it'll play it utake supports multiple resolutions uh up to 1080p i believe scan lines and filters uh that make it look like a tv uh, like a television it's called tv mode it's got different filters but they're all about you know emulating a tv basically uh it's got recording but it's emulator dependent meaning you can only play the recordings back in the emulator it's got save states save manipulation and quite a few more options especially games pad support and whatnot If you don't want to mess with something so complicated or you simply want to play ISO, bin plus MP3, i.e. lazy piracy, then you're probably best just ponying up the 30 bucks and getting Magic Engine, which is very plug-and-play. Um, I should also note that there's an awesome PCFX emulator. I think it's called Magic FX. That uh, when you're buying the $30 emulator, you can bundle it in for like $10 bucks more. Otherwise, they're like $30 bucks a piece. So if you want to go that route and get into PCFX gaming, which was the Japan-only follow-up to the PC Engine, I mean, that's a way to go. Um, but, uh, Yeah, yeah, actually we'll look into that actually. That's a good point Voss Um, But uh, but yeah, so if you're interested in getting into it, and I highly recommend you do the PC Engine especially uh, for the stuff that came out that didn't come out in America or Europe uh, is a fantastic thing. Of course, if you're not interested in that or you just want to see all the CD stuff that came out without actually playing through these games, Cron CD's coming out on the reg and we're getting pretty far into it. I mean, come the fall, uh, I'll be through, uh, you know, the first three years of the PC Engine CD, uh, although it did stay around for like seven. Um, <clears throat> anyway. Next up, the Virtual Boy. Who wants to go buy a fucking Virtual Boy and pay so much for the cartridges? Leave that for the collectors like Haiti. If you just want to play, there is none other than VBJIN. V as in virtual, B as in boy, JIN as in JIN, the Tekken fighter. That's the one you want. VB Jin is fantastic. Virtual Boy is important for one reason. The visual trickery of it all. And why is VB Jin important? Because it does perfect emulation of all these games and focuses on making them playable in their original state. Um, uh, and that one specifically would be. Uh, either 3d with red and blue or red and green 3d glasses it depends like if you have the original Arkham Asylum that came out the game of the year edition with the red and green 3d glasses boom you can throw it into VBGen and you can play with a very interesting version of 3d and a lot of people a lot of the problems with 3d is people are like well but it, it strips the color out well guess what Virtual Boy had one color red so it's the one exception to that same thing with red and blue hell you can stream these in those states and if people put on the glasses they can watch them in that state and then of course there is stereoscopic which is the the shutter lenses and last but not least of course that's tv or yeah monitor dependent and then vr i am playing vb gin uh in the oculus rift and it works perfectly great it will actually be responsible for how uh throughout the course of this summer i will review every virtual boy game so all 21 of them woohoo um but that's it that's why you use it vb gin That's the Virtual Boy emulator. You got 19 official games, like 22, counting the unofficial and unreleased games. Have fun. Next up is the PlayStation. Now, I'm skipping over a couple of these because um, there are certain ones where you have no other options or the emulation's not great. We're going to get to those soon, but these are the ones where this is the best one when you have multiple choices. So the original PlayStation, in my opinion, the best one is EPSX, e it's lower e on the on the outskirts of psx in the middle this to me is the uh, best ps1 emulator for one reason its feature set this includes custom shaders the custom shaders are amazing on EPSXE it's not perfect some games don't function properly but it's doing a really great job that's true of any place you try to emulate playstation 1 Uh, even the playstation 3 can't fully emulate the entire catalog there are a handful of games that are digital only and have varied effects um i think Die Hard arcade has streaming issues with the music i thought it was an issue with my disc turns out it's an issue with the emulation um epsxe is not free of problems but it again it does a pretty good job Um, It has just about everything you'd want. Scaling, save states, screen grabs, hacks, memory card manipulation, and a metric shit ton of tweaking features. It has like three full pages of graphical changes you can do with it. Of course, in order to do a lot of that stuff, you're going to want a stronger card. Uh, Graphics card, of course. and those tweaking features can also be the crutch to this emulator. You'll need to know a lot about settings and what they do to properly tweak them, and you'll probably want to tweak games individually for what they are. Then again, games like Final Fantasy 7 with the metric or with the metallic shader look fucking baller. It looks like a, a you know like a tin ashtray come to life, and it's a hundred hours long, so you'll be spending a lot of time with it. You know you don't have to tweak that much, but if you're just jumping around, it can be a problem. Uh, the emulator is definitely not plug and play and you'll also need to go get uh, BIOS um, or many BIOS. <laughs> uh, at the same time, uh, you know, the biggest thing is those shaders. Those really matter. Um, this is also the first time where I said, I got to have emulation. Emulation, like regular PlayStation 1 games look blurry as fuck. Look at my uh, my rip directly from an S-video cabled PlayStation 1 of the original Biohazard 2 in the Resident Evil 2 thing when I compare the PlayStation 1 version of Biohazard 2. It looks blurry as I'll get out in this video. It gets a lot sharper which you'll see with a lot of the other PlayStation uh, 1 versions for the English version because that's on the emulator upscaled to 720p but with a little bit of smoothing but it's basically the same thing. Then you look at some crazy stuff like some of the PlayStation 1 emulator stuff that I've captured and run uh, for various videos. Uh, like the Resident Evil 1.5 stuff, and you'll see how much it improves on the graphics. It's crazy. Um, again, if you want to be lazy, play PlayStation Portable, PlayStation 3, and PlayStation 1 do it pretty good. Um, Heck says, the question is, can my shitty PC run this? Yes, you should be able to run EPSXE on a quote-unquote shitty PC, no problem. Will you be able to tweak everything, get it up to 1080p? No, but you will be able to run stuff um but uh there is another uh emulator as well to maximize capacity, compatibility you may wa- you may also want to grab the other competitor pcsx hyphen reloaded again it's not as feature rich does not have the shaders and its compatibility is spotty as well um for me epsxe has been a great catch-all uh, for PS2, it's kind of the only game in town, but it's fantastic. You will need much stronger hardware, and I'll explain that in a second. But you have PCSX2. PCSX2 is fantastic. Uh, talk about the impressive, em- the, one of the more impressive emulators of all time. This bad boy came with an upscaler that turns your 480i PS2 games into super impressive 1080p. Uh, Captures. I uh, captured the Altered Beast video on this. It does a great job of upscaling stuff and making it look fantastic. Now, you don't need anything too crazy, but you do definitely need um, an old fiend, or sorry, an old P. a stronger gaming PC, even if an older one. If you want to know what I run this on, uh, I was running it on an old Phenom 2 3.4 quad core from about eight years ago with four gigs of RAM. Um, and I was using a 250X, an R7 250X Radeon card, which is about a $100 card. And it was running most things fine in full, you know, 1080p 60. It would hitch up from time to time, but then again, the emulator hitches up from time to time. All the time, so I can't tell exactly what's who's to blame. Sometimes, um, if you wanna future-proof yourself a little bit more, um, I was now I am now using the R7 370 in that same computer, same processor and everything though, which is like a hundred and fifty dollar card these days, and that's a two or four gig card. Mine's the Asus overclock Strix, but still it's a 370 and the upcoming 470 will be at that same price point And I think the RX 460 will be at like the 100 120 price point Those will be even stronger and definitely be able to keep up if you're building it If you're not building it, which I think 90% of people aren't, you're good Can you run it on Intel HD graphics? Of course you can just download it Try to run something you're good to go um, here are the major catches. First of all, you need a BIOS file. And without going illegal, and you're going to possibly go to some very sketchy sites for valid PS2 BIOS files these days, you're going to have to rip the BIOS file. I definitely did it. But I have a soft-modded PS2. Well, I will actually have a free boot PS2 memory card. And again, I offer this to anybody who wants it. If you want to run games through like a USB stick or if you want to soft-mod and be able to run stuff like BIOS dumpers and, for, and, and homebrew... Just hit me up. You know, we'll talk. You just PayPal me $20. bucks. i am not doing that as a service or anything. It's that it cost me 20 bucks to buy a $15 official PlayStation card, and it cost me 5 bucks to send it to you. So it's literally, I'm making zero profit on it, but I can easily copy my free McBoot card and send it to you so that you've got one good to go. There's also some tutorials online, but it requires things that a lot of people don't have, such as pro-action replays or ways to, like, rip the disc tray out, or it needs magic swap. These are all like swap disks that cost hundreds of dollars because they're so rare nowadays so this is the easy way to do it Um, more than likely though most of you will just go download it online you also need the proper bios file from what i could tell if i wanted to run altered beast i needed to get a pal english like uk bios file because when i ran the spain bios file everything was in spanish it was fine because i read spanish but then i realized i was making a video for everybody else and they may want to hear it in english so i had to go find the uk one so you're going to need multiple bios files at which point i definitely think you're going to go online and download those for the same reasons as before no i can't tell you how to get them no i can't tell you where to get them but they are available you'll also be spending a lot of time setting up the config and tweaking stuff but for the most part everything works right away Vos 5 is right on the ps1 emulator and remember this will post online so if you need to take notes if you're in the car or something or listening to the streaming or whatnot you're good to go you can take notes on it um i will list out the emulators at the very end of this episode which is wrapping up shortly um it's also not perfe- perfect, there's some hic- hitch-ups and stuff like that. I don't know if I do a live stream with it or capture gameplay, but you know what? The couple of hitch-ups I had with Altered Beast most people didn't notice, so who gives a fuck, right? It's good enough. Um, if I'm going to sit home and review a game, I'm going to play it on a regular PS2 through a CRT TV. I think it looks fantastic in component, but if I'm going to play it for a live stream, if I'm going to play it online, if I'm going to make a YouTube video out of it, I'm going to play it through this emulator. Um, so yeah so that's that's the way that one works next up is um oh i didn't talk about the n64 sorry real quick that one's easy that's project 64 pj64 project 64 is the number one emulator it works with almost everything be careful sometimes you will need to go out and find the hacked ROM that allows things to work. One that I can think about is like Resident Evil 2 needs like a hacked ROM, but that's just because of something with the emulator. The reason PJ64 is pretty cool is it does have support for N64 controllers. So if you go by one of those USB, you know, N64 ports to USB for your PC, it'll run it right out of the box. You just have to tell it you're using that. Um, The other thing that's cool is it has, uh, people have done HD texture packs For Nintendo 64 games, I think I've talked about it on a couple of articles and stuff, but you can look it up. Just look up Nintendo 64 texture packs and you can see how beautiful they can make certain games like Ocarina of Time and Conker's Bad Fur Day and Mario 64 look. Um, And you can run these. You will need a beefy-ass PC, the same PC I've been telling you about. Struggles sometimes to run those HD texture packs with uh, Mario 64, but uh, you can put some pretty gorgeous Mario 64 stuff up there But then again, I think Mario 64 looks great in 1080p running through regular pj 64. So anyway, that's the n64 emulator to use nowadays last but not least on the you've got multiple choices, but you really don't emulators is Gamecube Wii's Dolphin emulator this just came out Um But, uh, ah, yes, Voss. yes, we will talk. Um, So Dolphin 5 emulator just came out. Now, beforehand, Dolphin was a cool emulator, right? It would run GameCube, it would run Wii, and it would do a pretty good job. Dolphin 4.3, I think, was the last update, or 4.4, and it was updated like three years ago. It did a pretty good job, but... Weird things like lighting, progressive scan, motion tracking, layers, smoke effects, various things that you'd never think about that were kind of complex in both the GameCube and the N64 or the Wii library uh, were were having trouble. But Dolphin was still the quintessential emulator and did great stuff. It was able to render games in like 4K. It didn't do, it had some uh, issues with virtual console, it had some issues with sound, it had some issues with a bunch of things, but it did okay. Well now Dolphin 5.0 has come out and it is impressive. It is nearly perfect emulation. Not nearly perfect it only runs like a handful of games perfectly but so close to perfect you can let it go emulation of most GameCube and Wii games to the point that I don't think I'll ever run a game in GameCube or Wii ever again I bought the GameCube adapter for the Wii U back when I thought that it would support more than Smash Brothers and it doesn't well now that thing can is plug and play, I had to plug it in, I had to replace the drivers through an easy link that's on Dolphin's website and bam, I plug GameCube controllers in and I'm using a native GameCube controller bam, just like that on my PC to run Dolphin and I'm running these GameCube games like Resident Evil 4, I'm running them in 4K downscale to 1080p and it looks dazzling granted i have a powerhouse gaming pc i'm currently running an i5 4690 which is like a 3.5 gigahertz quad processor it's for vr and whatnot i have a 1070 a gtx 1070 overclocked gigabyte g1 edition i've got a powerhouse pc i will say that but that doesn't mean that even I mean I don't think you need even close to that most gaming PCs that are running modern games nowadays should be able to run this pretty good you might not be able to go 4k but you can definitely go 1080p and the emulator is capable of 8k um, it runs like all these games and they're so gorgeous for the Wii the same thing I just tether a Wiimote by holding down one and two on the remote for my Bluetooth device pair it up and then I run this uh, compatibility thing that's in one of the controller menus for Dolphin and it's good to go if I use a USB uh, sensor bar I can use a Wii perfectly if not you can either use two candles or you can just turn on a regular Wii and the sensor bar starts illuminating and you just put it out there and the mote will use it for reference it is the catch-all Wonderful thing. It even supports 3D with both the 3D glasses and stereoscopic, as well as VR. I was able to play Metroid Prime in VR. I'm still not convinced that things that weren't intended for VR, having it forced into them, is a good way to go. But you can do it. Um, It is the end-all be-all of emulation, and probably the best emulator I've ever seen. Um... Voss, it does. I can prove it. I can abs- or I can vouch for it. It even worked with vibration. It was amazing and it was basically plug and play. Uh, this one also has a couple of screens of setup but nowhere near as complicated and every option, when you mouse over it, tells you what it does and what it does to your performance. Uh, okay, let's wrap this up real quick with the emulators that have no clear winner or competition. So since this is going to be a quick list, We'll just go and review. So just to review for the end of the episode, if you're writing these down, arcades, you want MAME. NES, you want FCEUX. Sega Library, you want Kega Fusion. Game Boy Family, you want VBAM, Visual Boy Advance M. SNES is SNES 9X. PC Engine, TG-16, and Super CD, you want Utake, that's O-O-T-A-K-E. For Virtual Boy, you want VB VBGIN, that's VB-J-I-N. PlayStation, you want EPSXE, that's lowercase e on either side, PSX in caps in the middle. PS2, you want PCSX2. And GameCube, you want Dolphin. Now, you have no other choice for CDI but the CDI emulator. It's literally called CDI Emulator. And it runs almost every game, but it has lots of hitching, lots of slowdown, lots of problems, graphical problems, audio problems, doesn't run well, and it's the only game in town. I do not trust it in any way for Cron CD, which is why I'll be using authentic hardware. And no matter how strong your PC is, it doesn't make it run any better. The other one is 3DO. 3DO has four emulators. Or no, sorry. Yes, three emulators you need to use together to get the most library support. And still, it's not perfect. But those are called 3DO Play, FreeDO, F-R-E-E-D-O, and 4DO. And these combined together do good enough emulation. Sounds are glitchy. There's no features. It has a lot of problems with full screen mode. But it is good enough. Again, I don't trust CronCD with it. I won't be... Excuse me, using it. Oh, heck. The light two candles thing is it looks for infrared. Candles create infrared. If you trust them on either side of your TV or monitor, go ahead and do it. It totally works. Uh, next up, uh, Neo Geo Pocket. That's Neopop. Uh, it's the only choice in town, and it just basically runs every game and allows full screen, but that's all you need. Same thing with Wonder Swan. It's called OS Wan. O S W A N. Now, Sega Saturn's the weird one. You'll need four emulators to bring it together. Saturn, S-A-T-O-U-R-N-E, Yabause, Y-A-B-A-U-S-E, SSF, like Super Street Fighter, SSF, and Saturnin, S-A-T-U-R-N-I-N. With all four, you can get a large number of Saturn, game, Saturn games to play pretty well. Compatibility isn't great across the board, and there's no catch-all solution Uh, There's lots of audio hitches and graphical problems, but many readers have written in and said that they've been able to play a lot of games just fine. I know Panzer Dragoon is one of the easiest ones. There are also a lot of Saturn games that are available, not a lot, but a decent number in the PS3 and Xbox 360 libraries uh, as downloadable content. Next up, Dreamcast, kind of the same thing, too many different focuses, but you'll need Null D C and Macaron EX plus probably Choncast. So that's N-U-L-L-D-C, M-A-K-A-R-O-N-E-X, and then Choncast is C-H-A-N-K-A-S-T. And all of them you put it all together and you get some decent results. Null DC is known for having kind of the most uh, the the fastest emulation for playability, like 60 frames like you need. Macaron EX is most authentic. It like create recreates the games as perfectly as it can. And Macaron has all kinds of special features and fluctuations. You can add scan lines. There's this weird thing where you can stretch it to widescreen mode and all kinds of other stuff. Uh, games looked great on it, especially at 1080p, but for me, I still think a Dreamcast out of a VGA box looks the best. Xbox has CX, BX, and Xeon. That's X E O N. They both exist and they all kind of suck. Also, DVD ROM drives cannot read Xbox games, only the Xboxes. So many people have talked about it. You need to soft mod. Will I do a soft mod video at some point? Of course I will. Will it be anytime soon? I can promise you by the end of the summer, that's about it. But soft mod an Xbox, or if you don't want to do that, guess what else works very well? An Xbox 360. It has lots of backwards compatibility, but you need the actual games. And uh, most of the emulation is pretty good. And if you want to soft mod your Xbox and do piracy, you can even do it with burn games and ones that aren't supported. Um... Last but not least is uh, for the DS, there's no dollar sign GBA, which is no money GBA. It's the only game in town, and PSP is PPSSPP. Those all work pretty good. Anyway, my turnaround on emulation is documented in GH101, in several articles where I went from hating it to loving it, and I think it's a happy medium. But as Frank Cifaldi best said in his gdc talk emulation is the cheapest safest and best way to republish an older video game on modern hardware and i couldn't agree more there are more conversations to be had about this we need to do the raspberry pi stuff and no doubt you guys all have a lot of questions but here's hoping this allows you to take your laptop for school your laptop for work your PC at home that you use to make podcasts or listen to podcasts or just write papers or maybe even a mid-range or top-range gaming PC and be able to play a majority of the library of old-school video games and hell, even play them online with your friends. So with that, I'm going to cut out. This has been a long episode and it's already... Delving into my time with the B-Team, but in the meantime, come to GamingHistory101.com. Hit me up. Tell me what you want to see. Jam and I will be back next week. We will have a uh, somewhat special show. I'm thinking it will either be the Near Game Club... Um, and I'm going to see if Jam would be cool with this. I want to kind of resurrect the Game Club, so we might do the near Game Club, or we may do the top 10 PS2 games. And then in two weeks, I think we're going to have Guard on to talk about the Ultima series. But stay tuned. We got a lot of stuff coming this summer. It's going to be a fun ride, and stay tuned to the Twitter feeds for my live stream of Metal Wolf Chaos that will be in several sessions, hopefully over the course of this weekend next. In the meantime, this is Fred Rojas saying peace out.